Welcome into the latest episode of the previously undefeated Card Chronicle podcast. It's a sad day here in the pod world. Um, the run's over, and Mike Rutherford, Dan Tenard here, and for the first time, Dan, since we've been doing this a little bit over, I guess, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, we have to talk about a loss today. Yeah, it's a, it's a day that the music died. It, it doesn't feel good. Um, it's been all positive vibes since we started this thing. Uh, for some reason, in the back of my head, I thought we could take this all the way to Atlanta, even though I knew it was probably unrealistic, but I started to dream a little bit, but got brought back to reality, and here we are. We, we kind of talked, I think, on one of the earlier podcasts about how like there was probably going to be a loss at some point between now and the end of the regular season that wasn't Florida State. Um, it's one thing to talk about it, but when you actually have to sit through it, you know, it's, it's a totally – and when it's Josh fucking Passner too. I mean, that's – I can't get over the fact that this man has – he's now beaten Louisville three times. Two of those wins were a season sweep over that 2013-14 team that was so good, had, you know, three future NBA players, only lost six games that whole year. And now the third win is a win that snaps Louisville's longest conference winning streak in 37 years. I don't know what to think about the man. I don't, I don't know what to think about this game. It was just, I think a couple of, like two different people tweeted me the same thing during the game. And I think they put it the best. The whole game was basically a Dan in the Dumps segment. Like it was just, it, it was, I was in the dumps the entire, it was an excruciating experience. Even if Louisville had been able to win that game, I mean, which first of all would have felt like highway robbery. But second of all, it still would have been the most frustrating game of the entire season. Agree or disagree? Uh, no, I agree. And I like midway through the game, I literally was like, okay, even if we win this game, this is a throwout game because the game was so choppy. There was no flow. The officiating, God, I mean, it, it was not great. I just like it was the ACC network production was one of the worst things I've ever oh. watched. Oh. The the announcing crew could have done without them. Just the whole game in general was just like a root canal. So, yeah, I mean, and to top it off, I mean, just to be so tantalizing close to, you know, breaking through and like tying the game and just for it not to happen. It was just, God, it was painful to watch. But well, like we were kind of playing with fire a little bit, I would say. not. I mean, not every game, but a couple of the last games. Um, leading up to this, I guess you could say we were playing with fire with some of our slow starts, and yesterday it, it, it came back to bite us in the ass. I think that's the biggest thing in this whole deal is it's not the worst thing in the world to lose a game to you know one of the, the non-big three in the ACC this year, if you want to include Virginia in that group besides us. But the way it happened was frustrating because we've seen this team so many times, not just in conference play, but even if you want to go back to like November and December, they should have learned the lesson that they're not just good enough to show up and waltz and coast to a victory over anybody. They should have learned this lesson 15 times by now because it, it has happened periodically throughout the course of the season where the second that they start to get a little bit of you know, positive publicity, people start talking about him as you know, national title favorite. People start talking about him as final four favorite. The second that happens, they just give a shitty performance where they're kind of a no-show. And you can do that in like early January. That's fine. Like it, it shouldn't happen, but whatever. College. These are college kids. Stuff happens. In mid February, it's a little bit concerning. And I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I want to go ahead and preface all of these comments with: I still feel good about Louisville's long term prospects. I, I still feel like this is a 
I'm not going to say that I feel exactly the same as I did 48 hours ago because you lost to a team that was sub 500 in a game where if you play your C-plus game, you should win fairly handily. But I still feel like this could be a Final Four team. I still feel like this could be a national title team. But this has to be the last time where we have this conversation, where we have to have the whole just came not ready to play because there's no excuse for it anymore. You've, you have to know that you are a really good team but you're not so good that you can just just show up and beat teams like Georgia Tech. And I think that's the lesson that they should have learned for the, the 50th time here. But you're right. I mean, the whole, just the entire experience, the the broadcast, you got the dude with the camera and Jordan wore his face on the bench. <laughs> you, you've, so got, you've got the uh, the no scoreboard for the last you know four minutes of the first half where we're all just guessing the score. You've got, um, who was it? I, I can't remember the guy's name who was the announcer. I think it was uh, Spatola who's talking about, uh, Jose Alvarado's kid, and he's like, you know, he's a communications major, but he's taking the biggest class there is, like the dad class. I'm like, that, that's not even a thing. Like, th- th- there's no dad class. Like, I, I would have taken also, it. I yeah. Could've. Also compared David Johnson to Magic Johnson, so we've gone from like a Cassius Winston to Magic Johnson. That's a pretty big step up. Just that, that's my opinion on the Dave Johnson comparisons. It's like basically any tall guard you can think of. Like the analyst is going to like, he's like a Michael Carter Williams type guy. I'm like, no, like, like you, you can't just do that. And also speaking of the dad class deal, like Jose Alvarado's kid, I hate to say this, but like at the beginning I was like, okay, cool. Like he, he had a baby. Good for him. That's a feel good story. By the 35th time they mentioned it, I was like, I kind of hate this baby now. Like I, I hate to be this guy, <laughs> but like, I I'm, I feel like I have to hate Jose Alvarado's baby. Like, my baby and his baby now are rivals for the rest of their lives. He's doing the air guitar thing. They're mentioning the kid a billion times. I'm going to remember that baby forever, and I don't like it. So the, the, whole, the whole experience was terrible. Yeah, and, like, I, I'm, I don't want to go, like, Max Kellerman here and be like, you know, when, like, Tom Brady loses a game to the Texans in October and be like, Tom Brady is dead. Like, <laughs> I... I, I it's it's a loss, and I mean, I to should we burn Jalen Withers' red shirt now? Like, yeah, have to bring him off the bench. Like a loss was gonna come at some point, and it just sucks that it came not only to Josh Passner, but it came to a team that was eleven and thirteen coming into the game, and that's what's really the tough part about this is unless Georgia Tech you know, kind of gets their shit together the rest of the year, this is going to be a, a, a bad mark on, on Louisville's resume. So you're hoping, you know, uh, going forward that I, I hate to keep saying this, but Georgia Tech is pretty, I mean, they are pretty talented, but uh, that's no excuse to, to, I mean, to show up the way we did um, against a team that, Oh, by all means. I mean, we were so much deeper and God, I just, I'm, I'm in, I'm kind of at a loss just for how we showed up last night, especially how we shot the ball. Like, I don't know how we could go from shooting the ball so well to like, not just missing, but my God, like some of the misses were so bad. I was like, geez. I, I mean, I was just kind of at a loss for words. Like when we needed that one bucket, you know, even guys like Ryan, who, you know, has been lights out all year, just, not even close on some of those three. So just a tough game overall. Uh, you hope they can put it behind them for Saturday and kind of bounce back. I think we're probably going to see a shakeup in the starting lineup. That would be my guess, um, the way what Mac talked after the game. 
there's a couple guys. I mean, ugh, it's just tough. I don't know how much we're really getting out of out of Darius. Steve has kind of been hit or miss lately, and then uh, we can talk about Jordan here a little bit later. But I just feel like uh, there's a couple guys we we have to get more production from going forward. Yeah, this was to go back to the the first point, like. Everybody nationally is saying, well, this is a classic trap game for Louisville. You know, Georgia Tech, like you said, they've been playing a little bit better since they got Alvarado healthy. They've got four good players. The roster's pretty good. Louisville's coming off the high of beating Virginia for the first time in a billion years. Of course, it's a trap game. The, the problem with that, and Louisville fans all already know this, this team played Georgia Tech three weeks ago and damn near got beat on its home floor. Like, you, you're going down to Atlanta knowing full well that this team could beat you because it just almost happened to you five, six games ago. And to still come out with that lack of just lack of focus in the first four minutes and to not really punch back when Georgia Tech was so super physical was disappointing. And this, the shooting, you're right. It wasn't like this was a game where and in Louisville, the hottest shooting team in the country uh, in ACC play only. Uh, they would be the best three point shooting team in the country, as is the, the number four three point shooting team in the country. They'd made nine or more three pointers in five straight games. The last time that they hadn't made nine or more was the last Georgia Tech game. And it's not like a bunch of these were rattling in and out or they were just hitting the back iron. I mean, we had that one possession where I think it was Malik and David missed back-to-back shots by, I think, 27 feet in like yeah. seven seconds. And I kind of was like, all right, the other team deserves to win at this point. Like, if you're going to miss if you're gonna miss that badly on back-to-back shots, and it wasn't just them. Ryan has an air ball. Um, David had another air ball and a jumper. Uh, Dwayne, all of his threes were wide open, and I like barely grazed iron. We had dudes just missing wide left, wide right, five feet long, five feet short. It was just an awful, awful shooting performance from a team that had been shooting the ball as well as anybody in the country. And I, I guess you shrug your shoulders and say nights like this happen. Um, I mean, three for 24 is kind of shocking given what we've been seeing the last few weeks. But if you just have a, a semi-average shooting night, it's another one of those deals where you win the game. But it didn't happen. And it, it's a lesson learned for this team because – there's probably going to be another game at some point between now and whenever the NCAA tournament ends where they have a shooting night like this and they're going to have to find a way to beat a team better than Georgia Tech. I, I don't know. Um, I, I guess we'll start the the overall conversation, kind of what you were leading into. The fact that Chris Mack, after the game, says, I think he told Bob Valvano, that there's going to be a shakeup in the starting lineup. And you and I on the pod have been sort of in agreement that like the starting lineup talk has been kind of overblown. When you have nine guys that are basically all playing big time minutes every single game you can mix and match your lineups this game it kind of mattered though and I kind of I can see why Chris Mack would use this as a jumping off point to make this move because Louisville comes out they're not focused they get beat up a little bit by Georgia Tech they fall behind 12 to 2 and it ends up being a hole that they never never crawl out of the game was never tied after that they never took a lead after that and you do kind of wonder if you had David Johnson or Malik Williams or whatever your preferred starting lineup in is does that happen? Is Louisville able to get off to a better start? And the starts have been really hit or miss even during the winning streak. So uh, we'll start with this. Like, like, What starting lineup do you want to see Saturday in Clemson? Yeah, and like I don't blame Chris for running out the starting lineup last night. I mean, we had won 10 in a row. Sure. Uh, you know, I know we'd had a couple slow starts in that 10-game winning streak, but if he would have changed the lineup at, with a 10-game winning streak and we would have lost, like he would have caught a lot more heat, um, I'm guessing. So I have no problem that he kept the starting five last night. But after seeing this, 
um, about three or four times in the last 10 games. Like, I'm glad that he brought it up, and I'm, I'm glad that it's probably going to be addressed. Man, it is t- – I mean, here, here's my – Dave is playing – I mean, last night he was loose with the ball, I understand. But everything on offense I felt like that happened, although Malik was a, a, a big offensive gem for us last night as well. But I feel like everything else was either created by Dave or, or Dave did himself. Uh-huh. It's just very hard to keep him out of the lineup right now. Um, so – I'm guessing Dave at the one. Oh gosh, um, I don't know if you start Lamar. I, I think I don't think you start Darius. I really, I think I think you're either putting Lamar or Ryan at the two. I'll say, uh, and I mean, I say at the two, Lamar and Dave. If, if Lamar plays the two, him and Dave why are you can... calling him Lamar? Real quick. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I'm like losing my fucking mind. The here. king of like shortening <laughs> nicknames. If you're known for anything on this podcast, it's shortening people's names to one syllable. I'm just trying to keep everyone on their toes. Okay? <laughs> you're taking the one guy that everybody calls Brett. Like, I didn't when, he, know, when he I, plays bad, he's Lamar. Okay, last night was not great. He's Lamar. When he plays well again, I'll call him fresh. I mean, I was thinking for five seconds, is there a guy named Lamar on this team? Is, is he just talking about Lamar Jackson? I, I completely forgot that that was his name. Anyway, sorry. Now I'm rattled. Um, so, all right. I'll, I'll say – I'm going to say Ryan starts um, and Jordan at the three, uh, Dwayne at the four, and gosh – I'll say Malik at the five. I think we could see Steve come off the bench. That's that's my guess. I think it's it's weird because it does seem like David and Ryan play really well together. And if you move, I, I think the most obvious person to move into the starting lineup if you're making a switch this late in the season is David Johnson. And do you keep Darius Perry in at that point, who has been the guard out of that four that's played, or at least out of the big three, if you want to take the man out of it. Like Perry's played the least out of all the starters. He's had games where he's only played five or six minutes. He's had games where he's only played 13 minutes, and he wasn't great again last night. But if you take him out of this, does David play the two? Does Fresh play the two? I'm kind of with you. I think that the most likely change we see, and it feels weird to be making, you know, a starting lineup change this drastic where it's not just one guy, but it's three guys coming in after a 10-game winning streak. I think you're going to see David Johnson. I think you're going to see Ryan McMahon. I think you see Jordan Wara, Dwayne Sutton, and then I'm with you. I think Malik Williams has been so good in recent weeks that, and also just has battled more than Stephen Enoch has. I think that's been the frustrating part for Chris Mack is Stephen's been playing some physical post players and hasn't really muscled up the way you'd like to see him. Um, I, I think you're going to see that moving forward, and I'd be okay with it. It's if he wanted to keep the starting lineup exactly as is, I'd be okay with that too. But at some point, I mean, you have to to realize David Johnson's the guy who's making it happen for you offensively right now. And I know he shot a bunch. Uh, people point out the six for 13 numbers and you're right. He, he was too loose with the ball. He had, well, I think four turnovers. It felt like it was nine or 10 because the ball kept just slipping out of his hands and it just seemed like he lost it out of bounds a bunch, but he was the only guy really making something happen against Georgia Tech's man-to-man uh, defense. And it reminded me a little bit of Donovan Mitchell in 2016-17 early on in the season when he wasn't getting a whole lot of help and people were were shitting on him for shooting too much. If the offense is just a bunch of guys standing around and nobody making a move to the basket and you're the only guy that can get separation, like 
sometimes that's the best shot you're going to get. And I think that's what you're, David was, he wasn't taking awful shots. He was just missing a bunch of decent looks because he's not a, you know, a knockdown mid range shooter. So I was kind of, I was fine with it. The turnovers I wasn't fine with, but the shot attempts that he chose to take, uh, I thought was totally okay. Cause he was the only guy out there making anything happen. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm ready to start David Johnson. The- and I kind of agree with you. The thing I liked about Dave, even though the turnovers were there, like you said, he was trying to make stuff happen. It just seemed like he was like the the one that was more urgent than anyone about like shit. We cannot lose this game. Yeah, I'm gonna put this team on my back and and try to win this myself. And it's a shame that he fouled out because honestly, um, he I mean he did that last like minute and ten seconds for him. Besides the fact that he didn't dunk the ball, which was a huge play, obviously, but was like one of the and he also did foul uh alvarado which we could have done without that but besides that i mean my god he looked like an absolute superstar for the last minute there with some of the plays that he made um and i i love to see that i love to see a guy that was like shit what you know we cannot lose this team and I wish that was like the mentality we we would see from someone like Jordan. And, you know, I don't want to pick on Jordan, but it's it's a little troubling when, uh, you know, that's maybe four games where it's almost just a complete no show. And he's someone that you're depending on and you have to think going into March is 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 this the guy that that we're going to lean on and. I, I was thinking about like a comparison for Jordan and this is like kind of harsh, but he kind of, he's like almost to me, like the football Jay Cutler, like Cutler had like, all the, no, listen, listen, no, no, it's not bad. Cutler was like very talented offensively, put up huge numbers. And I mean, he, he won games. He had a team to the NFC championship, but as far as being like an absolute alpha leader, someone that was like, get on my back, we're going to, you know, take this team to the promised land. Uh, he just never, I mean, again, he was, he was a fine teammate. It looks like I think all his teammates liked him. I just don't think that he was kind of the alpha that the, you know, that the bears needed. And I, I think Dave has a little more alpha in him than Jordan. That's just my opinion. I think there's something to be said for that. I, I don't think it's a, a terrible analogy at all. Before we dive fully into the Jordan conversation, I want to go back. You mentioned the, the goaltending call. Um, I'll preface this because you have to do this. Again, the calls were bad both ways. Uh, officiating definitely did not make Louisville lose this game. And now I get to tell you why the calls were bad only for Louisville and why the officials definitely uh, cost Louisville this game. Am I wrong? Am I being the ultimate homer? by saying, like, when they showed that one angle of the replay, the best angle that they kept repeating, it looked like the ball started to come down to me. And, and I was, it, it, to, like, I, I kind of thought it started the descent, and it should have been a goal to end. I know it was close. It was really close. You could make arguments both ways. But because it was so close, I don't know how you don't stick with the call on the floor. And they stopped it because they called the goaltend and they wanted to go review it. I mean, that's the only reason. You can't just stop to say, hey, we're going to go look at this. You have to actually make the call. So, by the letter of the law, they called a goaltend, went to go review it. To me, I know it was close. It certainly wasn't as bad as it looked live. I still thought it was a goaltend. Yeah, God, I was so focused on seeing if the ball hit the backboard first 
that like you all had to point out to me via text that like the ball was actually coming down. And I agree with you. I, I think it was, um, at, at that point, I just knew the call was going to go against us just the way the game was going. Um, it just seemed like every bad thing or everything that could go wrong at that point was going wrong. So, uh, when they went to the monitor, I had a bad feeling and turns out, you know, they, uh, Went, went Georgia Tech's way. All right, so let's talk about Jordan War because, like you were saying, another kind of no-show performance. It's never good when your best player and your All-American candidate and your ACC Player of the Year candidate has more turnovers than he has points or rebounds, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, just two points, one of six shooting, um, had two assists, had three rebounds, and had four turnovers. Uh, just overall terrible night for Jordan War. There's no way around it. Before we say all this kind of critical stuff, I'll give him a couple of compliments. He made two really good passes in transition, which is yeah, I literally I, I was going to talk about that because I yeah. love that. that. That was great. I was really happy to see that. And I, I, that's something like he'd kind of struggled with, you know, in early on in his career. And to see him do that, I thought that was huge. He made a great pass to David for a, a layup. I think it was David. And then made the pass to Ryan on the wing for a three that cut it to one when it looked like we had all the momentum in the world and we were going to finally go on that run to seize control of the game. Like those were two really good plays. And he also, I thought he took one bad shot, but this wasn't like I was more frustrated with Jordan in the Texas Tech game than I was in this game because Texas Tech, he was just taking challenge shot for challenge shot for challenge shot. And this game, he was only taking open looks. He had one that was seemed like a force. He just wasn't making good shots. Um, but still, like there's one of six, you're the leading scorer in the ACC. Two points is not going to cut it in a game that your team needs you to play well. And here's, this is kind of the way that I'll base this entire conversation. In the last two or three minutes, when, he, like, and first of all, Jordan was sitting during some of this time, which goes to show how bad he was in this game. But during the last two or three minutes when it was you know, two-point game, four-point game, tie game, or I guess it was never tied, but you get what I'm saying, critical possessions, there was never a moment where I was like, get the ball to Jordan. You know, get him the ball, everybody clear out, let him go do his thing. I kind of feel like that guy for me, I don't know how it is for everybody listening or how it is for you, like the guy's David for me right now, or, or Fresh. I think for, even, even with Fresh making the mistake in the final seconds, he's a guy that you feel confident with the ball in his hands, not necessarily to go get a bucket, but just to run the offense effectively and take care of the ball. With Jordan, like I'm really confident if it's him getting a wide-open look that's set up by somebody else or set up by the offense, but if it's him just going one-on-one, I feel like every single time it's going to be three drills, not being able to get a step on his defender, and then a contested 24-footer that doesn't go in. Like That's just kind of that's where I'm and with him right now in clutch situations. Uh, I'm the same way. He's just someone that he, he kind of, he's someone that has to be engaged in the game early from a scoring standpoint. If you're going to want him engaged late, it, it just seems like he's not a guy that can go through the motions in the first half and have like two points. And then in the final five minutes, you know, go off for, you know, a couple create your own baskets uh he's just someone that kind of stays steady throughout the game most of the time when he's not completely off and makes makes shots and you know sometimes gets out on the fast break but yeah he's he's not a guy like you said if it's crunch time the guy I want the ball in is uh I mean really I know fresh turned it over but like you said Dave or fresh um are gonna be the guys that I want handling the ball at the end and with Jordan I, I do 
fault him for yesterday, but Max minutes kind of confused me yesterday. Like he played Sam a lot yesterday uh-huh. and I didn't really think we were getting a whole, I know he hit like an open three, but uh, I didn't think we got a whole lot of Sam. I, I, I feel like Sam has lost just about every loose ball this year that any 50, 50 ball. I, I feel like Sam has lost this year. Um, and I, I just think what Jordan said on the bench, it was hard for him to really get in the flow of the game. But, you know, he did have a couple lapses defensively that obviously pissed off Chris. So, you know, Chris had his reasons to sit him, and that was that. I think that that's like the last point there is that's the rationale for the minutes is Jordan was having a really bad game defensively. I mean, he got beat backdoor in the first segment and got yanked right away. Like Chris, and now I'm doing your thing. I'm saying Chris, like Chris, he he tried to send a message right off the bat. Like we're not going to do this shit tonight. If you're not going to defend, you're not going to play. Like this is the way it's going to work. And he had. I, I want to take it back to the the moment right after Ryan Man hits that three, cuts the lead to one. We made back to back threes. Malik hit the one uh, in the possession before. We have all the momentum in the world. The zone defense has been just completely fucking Georgia Tech up. They have no idea how to attack it. They call timeout. And I want to get your thoughts on we come out and we go back to man. And I know what Chris Mack's thinking in that moment. There was an earlier situation. I think it was earlier in the half where we busted out the zone for the first time coming out of a timeout. And it was clear that Georgia Tech had drawn up a play to attack the man-to-man defense. And they had no idea what to do. They were completely just fooled pass the ball around the perimeter, and then turn the ball over. And, and Mac is trying to do the reverse thing here, taking a team that set up a play to, to attack Louisville zone and throw a man-to-man at them. In theory, it's a great idea. Um, I, I agree with – I wrote it, and I actually listened to, to the uh, What High School Did You Go To pod today. Chris Hatfield, Gabe Diverge, shout out to those guys. They're great. And they said the exact same thing. Like, maybe you're giving Josh Fastner a little bit too much credit. Maybe you're overthinking things a little bit. But I, I still don't really fault Chris Mack for making that move in that situation. And it may have worked out. Jordan just refused to help out. His guy screened, uh, set a screen for Michael DeVoe, who Dwayne Sutton was guarding. Jordan's supposed to come over and help and cut off the drive there. And he just doesn't. He, he just doesn't come over. So Dwayne gets beat. Dwayne fouls. DeVoe scores. It's a three-point play. Um, and George Sex back up by four. And right after the ball goes to the basket, you've got Fresh. He goes right after Jordan and is like, what the hell are you doing? And even Dwayne, who never kind of does this thing with his teammates, it kind of gives him the what the hell, man, like goes over there and yell. like that was just Jordan War's performance in a nutshell. And I think that's why for long stretches he wasn't on the floor and Sam Williamson was as, as in and out uh, defensively as Sam can be. He was more solid in this game. He was more reliable in this game than Jordan was. Yeah. And I don't fault Chris at all for, you know, especially that one possession switching defenses and actually. I actually applaud Chris for the way he coached last night because he was trying everything that he could. He was switch, He was playing so many different combinations because he could not get a spark from anyone. He was switching defenses. He pressured the ball a little bit. You know, he did things kind of out of character just to get try to get some sort of spark out of the team. So, I mean, the loss fully lies in the players. Like, I, I, I have no fault in Chris or the coaching staff's performance last night. It was just, you know, offensively a, a putrid game. And even on defense, you know, we, we, we had our lapses as well. So, yeah, I had, I had no problem with it. The only frustrating thing about this game to me, and I know that it's – look, these are – Chris Mack's core principles aren't going to be altered. It's why when we used to get calls on the radio show all the time about, you know, why don't we press? I'd love to see 40 minutes of hell and all this stuff. 
Like, it's just not going to happen. That's not what he does. He plays pack line defense. He wants to force bad shots. He doesn't want to force a bunch of turnovers. But against this team, they play six guys, basically. And four of them are good. The other two are just kind of throw-ins. We play nine guys. They're all good. I, again, you're just, it's greedy. But I would have loved to have seen us just deviate from our overall game plan just in this case and run these dudes into the ground. Because if you press them for 40 minutes, if you are throwing new lineups at them constantly, if you're pressuring them, even in the half court more than we were, you're going to run away from them in the last 10 minutes. We saw that time and time again over the years, uh, not just with Rick Pitino, but with Denny Crum too. Teams would wear out when they played us. And it's just it's frustrating to see like the only way a team that thin with that little of a bet. They had two bench points, Georgia Tech did. The only way they can hang with you is if you play the style that Louisville played. And I, I do think that we tried to get out a little bit more in transition on offense. Like we played, I think this was the fifth fastest pace that we've played at the entire season. So we were obviously trying to do a little bit on offense, but the full court stuff was just kind of token. We did it a, a three or four times and it was just having one guy on the guy bringing the ball up. It was basically just to have them start their possessions with a few seconds left on the clock. It didn't really do anything. And it's just, it's frustrating when you see an obvious path to victory out there that you're just not going to take because of your overall style. And I get it. It's You don't want to deviate from something because of one game. It, you want to stay focused on the big picture. I'm sure that's where Chris Mack's head is. But it's just frustrating for me. And I think it's, yeah. just, it's, it's part of this yeah. adjustment as a fan base. No, I agree. And especially at the end when we did just kind of lay down the gauntlet in the backcourt and they exactly. turned it over. I was like, God, I mean, we... Like, who knows, like, how rattled they would have been all game if we would have thrown that on them, you know, for at least a half. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what Chris is trying to do, so I, I I don't fault him for that. But, you know, maybe in the future we'll, we'll see more of it. Who knows? But, you know, regardless, it's a team that, we you know, we shouldn't have to rely on that. We're more talented. We're deeper um you know we it's just a game we should have won there's no, there's really no excuses um I, I will give the team um a pass just because we have won 10 in a row I'm, I'm not going to go the sky is falling route but at least we know all right you know there's some things we can work on there's some lineups that we can tinker with and I I really think you know Saturday is going to be a, a big game for like just the overall mindset of this team, like it would be very bad to come out on Saturday and look lethargic again. Um, I'm really hoping Saturday that, you know, we kind of Chris gets his message across through practice. Like we're not going to do this shit anymore. And we just come out and step on their throats. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're totally right. This, the resume and right now just for like the, I guess to to pinpoint exactly how bad this loss is or how not bad this loss is, depending on how you're looking at it. Georgia Tech is number 80 in the the net rankings. If they move up five spots and get into the top 75, that becomes a quad one loss. And we'll, we'll go back to having zero quad one losses. That could definitely happen. Tech jumped two spots last night by beating us. Uh, right now it's a quad two loss. But it, it would be good for us because we have so few quad one wins and so few quad one opportunities to have, you know, to be able to say, look, no quad two losses, no quad three losses, no quad four losses. Not many teams nationally can say that. But if you lose the, to Clemson, then all of a sudden there, there's no saving that. And I think you're bumped a seed line for that at least. And it becomes pretty difficult to work your way back up to that two or three line. We mentioned Georgia Tech only had two bench points. The flip side of that, Louisville, 18 points from its starting five. 
18 points. Mm. The last time that it had that few points in a game, Kelly Dickey at Real Card Game on Twitter with a crazy fact, February 4th, 1947. Louisville starting five combined for 17 points in a 20 to 13 win over Georgetown College. That's how long it's been. Um, oh my God. I mean, our starters combined almost got outscored by both Malik Williams and David Johnson. Malik and David both had 16 points. Our starting five combined had 18. And that just how, how about Malik with the post moves? He had the dream shake going on. I loved it. He, yeah. No, I, I think him kind of, I mean, and we got to remember he was hurt. Um, and sometimes when that happens, it, it, especially big guys, it kind of takes a little bit to get back in the flow of things. And it seems like he's starting to find his groove offensively. He's hit a couple threes the past couple games, um, has had some nice post moves. So I'd say that was like real encouraging. And to be honest, it was not his, I know he was a warrior on the boards, but it wasn't one of his best defense defensive performances. He, there was a lot of times where he let, Banks catch the ball kind of like right in his sweet spot in the lane. Uh-huh. Um, although Banks like was in the lane for, I mean, he could have like set up a campfire and roasted some s'mores. He was in there for like 20 seconds, but that joke was so fucking bad. Was um, bad. <laughs> well, you can edit that one out. We'll edit it um, but no, Banks actually impressed me. I thought he was really good, but yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's nice to see we're getting some offensively out of him. So hopefully, you know, if he does move into the starting lineup, you know, we uh, we can carry that going forward. Yeah, you did kind of worry when James Banks would make a good post move, or even there were a couple of times where Malik would ended up matched up against Moses Wright, who I think is really really good, and they would score on him with a like a really athletic move. And Malik would call for the ball on the post on the other end, and you kind of were like, "Oh shit!" Like, like, <laughs> like, don't think that you can do this now. And he, I mean, he had a left-handed hook, he had a right-handed hook, he had a couple of uh, face-up jumpers, and again, shot the ball pretty well from the free throw line, at least compared to his career percentage. I think he was uh, uh, five of seven from the free throw line, and he was, I mean, just the one guy that I think really gave a complete performance. Um, Dwayne had moments where he was really good. David had moments where he was really good. Nobody else really had moments where they were really good, but Malik was the one guy that you could point to and say, just a complete performance. He's been a warrior. And I think also the fact that he's the most vocal leader on the team, I think that's going to be the other push that that leads Chris Mack to putting him into the starting lineup for this home stretch because he's been the guy. I mean, as good as Steven has been at times during the last couple of months, more times than not when, when we've been in close games, it's been Malik Williams that we've finished games with. It's been He's been out there for the last four minutes. He's been the guy you've gone with. Now, there have been a couple of times where we've mixed and matched um, when there have been timeouts or fouls, and we've brought Steven in to play offense and Malik in to play defense, and I'm totally fine with that. But if you've got to pick just one to ride with at this point, and no disrespect to Steven Enoch, he's, he's a good player. He's going to have a huge part, play a huge part in whatever success this team has down the stretch. But I think it's got to be Malik. Malik's got to be the guy uh, at the center position. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and Steve, he's he's just kind of a funny player. Like you know that he has the offensive arsenal to to put up big number of games, but he's really not someone that demands the ball. Um, so yeah, and then on defense. There's there's games where he kind of blends in, but there's games where he, he stands out maybe because, you know, he does have a little bit of a he's, he's slower afoot than Malik is. And um, yeah, so at this point, you know, I, I kind of am with you. I think we just need to ride the hot hand of Malik while, while he's playing well. Do you feel I mean, 
I'm not going to ask if you feel differently at all about this season because I think I think we all feel at least a little bit differently after every single game. But big picture wise, do you feel significantly different about this team's long term prospects than you did 48 hours ago? So when you win 10 games in a row, your mind starts to wander to probably unrealistic places. Like every day, all I could think about was like being in Atlanta, you know, the like the pregame parties before walking into the final four game. And then a game like last night really is like, okay, you know, we do have stuff that we need to do. Now, with that being said, I still think that we have the talent to get there. Um, I think we have the coach to get there. I think our players have the right mindset to get there, but it's more of a, okay, we we probably need to take this more one game at a time, work on the things that we need to work on to get better for March versus saying, you know, Hey, we're going to be there in Atlanta for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was on the verge of getting just like super, super chesty about this team. Like, like, you know, we're the best team in the country. Like nobody can beat us. We may have a couple of games where we don't play well, but our worst is still going to beat any team in the ACC, all that good stuff. And now I've kind of dialed that back a little bit. Like I, I still feel like on their best day, Louisville's as good as anybody. There's still not anybody out there that scares me. Not anybody out there that I see and say, well, no way we can beat those guys, but I'm just, just dialing it back a little bit. Just, just tapping the brakes, not pumping them, just tapping them. And, uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. We'll see how they respond to all this, but I, I don't know. It, it was just, it was a reminder that this team's not good enough to just coast past teams. And, and I, I know that I should have learned that as well as the team did, but here we are again, having the same discussion. It just, they shouldn't struggle. I know George Tech has, has uh, four really good players. They should be better. Like their record, they shouldn't be a sub 500 team. But Louisville also shouldn't be playing at their level on a night where Georgia Tech wasn't its best. And that maybe was the most frustrating thing about the entire game. Tech turned the ball over 18 times. Every time they had a chance to put us away, they would leave the door wide open. And we just couldn't make that play or two to, to walk through that door and take full advantage. And it was, it was just – I thought we would be able to do that. Here's kind of my thing. I actually think there has been a couple games where we haven't shown up to play but we've gotten away with it because we've shot the ball so well. And last night we just were, I mean, we were abysmal. Um, what were we three of 24 from behind the arc and, mm-hmm. you know, not playing well and not shooting well, you know, no matter who you play, um, you're, you're probably going to hold an L at the end of the night. But I, I think there has been a couple games where maybe we didn't bring our A or even B game, but somehow, you know, with, with shots falling, we're, we're still able to play our way out of it. Are you ready to see the gray uniforms retired? I actually, I mean, I think they look good, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a karma guy. Um, I'm, I'm ready to go ahead and hang them up for the rest of the year. At least I'm done with them. We were three and zero with them. I think we've, we've played badly in them a couple of times. We played okay in them once. I'm ready to get back to the red or the black on the road. Um, I, I'm, I'm done with the gray, uh, shout to hoops insights. They made this point too, to go back to the, the backcourt discussion and, and, who should start, how the minute should be divvied up. During the, even during the 10-game winning streak, when Darius Perry and Fresh Kimball were on the floor together, they played 211 possessions during the win streak. Louisville was minus 12. And I know plus-minus is a flawed stat. You can take it for what it is. But when you've got a 10-game sample size, it becomes a little bit more worthwhile. And UofL overall played 474 possessions when they weren't playing those two together, and they were plus 103. So not saying, you know, 
Not saying you necessarily have to bench Darius Perry, you have to bench Fresh Kimball, but maybe bench one of the two. Maybe maybe, maybe have them out there as little as possible together. Uh, mix and match them with David and Ryan and see what happens. Yeah, and let me ask you this. That last possession where, where Fresh lost the ball going in the lane, because when that happened, I kind of did like a frustration, like, damn it, and like walked away and didn't even really watch the replay. Did he slip or did the ball or did the did he lose the ball before he slipped? I couldn't even tell. It looked like he slipped before he lost the ball. Okay. To me at least. I, I mean, I know people were clamoring for for Jordan to get the ball there, but I mean he was like one of six and hadn't done anything offensively. Like I would have had just as much faith as as fresh driving to the basket there and which he's you know, he's been clutch for us all year in those moments versus, you know, trying to you know, four speed Jordan, uh, the ball and maybe possibly having him taken a bad shot. So I, I didn't absolutely hate the play. I, I wish that Dave hadn't fouled out at that point, but just a, just a terrible ending. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it was, it definitely was one of those plays. And I watched the second half of the game today. I watched a little bit of the first half, which also reinforced something that you and I talked about last night. If you were an impartial observer, just tuning in to watch some college basketball on a Wednesday night, I don't know how you sit through oh, that shit. Like I, that, that would have been just an absolutely atrocious game to sit through. Because even watching it on replay and knowing what was happening and looking for specific things, it was a slog to sit through. But that last possession, I'm not sure where Fresh was going. The defense for Georgia Tech was good. It didn't look like we really knew what we were doing there. And even if he hadn't slipped, I don't know if that possession would have turned out well. But I, I would have been curious to see how it played out. And I, to, like I'm fine with him having the ball in his hands and trying to make a play. I think he's earned that right at this point. He's been clutch enough down the stretch. But this was a game where not only did we not get first segment Darius stepping up, we didn't get final segment fresh. Like Both of those were terrible. And when both those guys, both of your, your superheroes, are giving you nothing, you're going to lose to Georgia Tech. And that's the long and short of it. The last thing that I'll say about this game before we forget about it forever and never talk about it again, it came on the one-year anniversary of the Duke comeback game. Oh God, Jesus! Never play on February twelfth again. Like, let's just let's make this a thing where we work with the ACC and we never schedule a game on February twelfth again because I don't think I can take it. Um, and I saw a couple of people on Twitter who were like, "This is my birthday. Imagine having the birthday <laughs> the last two years." Or one guy was like, "My son was born on this day a year ago, and now we were celebrating his first birthday today." Like, if that's you and you're listening to this, I'm giving you a virtual hug right now because you are a poor bastard and that just that sucks it's terrible god just there's just such a different feeling in the air after like a loss it's just like i woke up this morning to go to work and there was snow on the ground it was freezing like you know when when you go to like work out you you have like zero pep in your step because you're just kind of depressed about the game you know lunch doesn't taste the same i just i hate losing it I, i can't stand it i'm i'm already itching to get back in the W column. No, I'm with you. And also, it hurts Louisville. We talked about the seeding a little bit. I think Joe Lenardi today updated his bracket and had Louisville as the last number two seed. Um, it also hurts Louisville's chances to win the ACC now because you're in a deadlock with uh, with Duke. And Duke's schedule down the stretch is really, really favorable. They don't have a game nearly as tough as Louisville's games at Florida State or at Virginia. So, obviously, if you tie, if we both went out and we go 18-2, and two, we get like technically we both win the ACC, but we'll get the tiebreaker and be the number one seed. But there's really no margin for error now, and I think that's the biggest thing. We had we built up enough of a of a resume being 21 and three, 
that we could take one bad loss, but that safety net's kind of gone now. And I think that you're with games like Saturdays against Clemson, you know, when you're playing the teams that are the the bottom, you know, six of the conference, you don't have any margin for error anymore. A, a slip up means you probably aren't going to win the ACC, and it might knock you down to the three line, or it might knock you down to the four line. So they, 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 everything's heightened now. Every game is is significantly more important than it was 48 hours ago, I think, because they didn't yeah. show up in Atlanta. That And that could be a blessing in disguise. It might get the guys to, you know, just focus on a little bit harder. And, and you know, maybe in the back of their mind, they, they knew they had that cushion. I'm sure, you know, they that wasn't their intent going into the game to, to play like that. But, you know, this this will wake them up, hopefully, and know that, you know, just teach them that they need to bring it every single night. All right. Uh, we're not going to do Dan of the Dumps because the whole game was a Dan of the Dumps. So that's uh, that counts as your Dan of the Dumps moment for this episode. But we are going to read some of the reviews that you guys have been leaving. And again, um, I, I hate to mention this every podcast, but it really does help us out if you subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you use and you give us a, a, a rating and a, and a review. It really, really helps us out. Um, we'll read Corey Embry. And to encourage you to do so, we try to read some of the reviews at the very end of the pod. He says, I love that I can listen to in-depth UofL insight as well as get a Mark Lemke reference in the same place. Thanks to Mike for the always great work. I've been following your blog since the WordPress days, since way back when. Shout out to Dumpster Dan as well for always keeping the episodes full of laughs too. Louisville Cards fan just says, Danny question mark. Did Danny really go to UK? <laughs> I did, yeah. We, uh, I, I think we discussed it last pod, but again, it's just a diploma. I, I believe it. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, and you can attest to it. I, I've been to just as many U of L card games as pretty much anyone in the city, except the last, you know, about a year and a half since I've moved. But yeah, there's uh there's no like on the fence. Do I like UK? No, I despise UK athletics with a passion. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, the, uh, the ringleader of the U of L fan base right behind you. Uh, Big Carl fan says, new podcast. Glad for all the places for this to start. It started at Hooters in Jeffersonville. Shout out to the Hooters in Jeffersonville. We haven't talked about it in a while. And I will mention, I won't read the specific ones because they're just in passing, but multiple people are upset that we let you say, I say we, that I let you say, go cards at the end of the last podcast. You didn't get cut off on your go cards, and now we're losing basketball games again. Do you think the two things are related? Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to time that up hopefully because uh, if we screw up this time, then then they'll really be after us. All right, any parting thoughts before we do the uh, <laughs> before we cut off? Try to cut off your go cards. Uh, happy Valentine's Day to all the yeah. female listeners that we have out there. I want to give my wife a special Valentine's Day shout out, my uh, my little girl, and uh, yeah, looking uh, looking forward to celebrating. You doing anything big for it? We are doing nothing. Uh, absolutely yeah. nothing. We have no plans this weekend. Does We're watching the UML Clemson game. I was like, oh, cards are on at four. Happy Valentine's Day. Does Cam, does your son not get a Valentine's Day shout out? No, only he for the does. Ladies? Yeah. No, no. I, it, we, we, we got them both stuff. Um, I always get my daughter like a, uh, just like a, a single little rose, like every Valentine's Day. It's just something I've done since she was born. So, Kind of a tradition I want to keep going, but yeah, my son, we just give him candy. Yeah, so my dad, every single year growing up, my mom, she calls it the shrine. She gets all the, every single year that my dad and my mom have known each other, my dad has gotten her um, a heart-shaped box of chocolates from one of the candy stores around here. It's like the heavy-duty stuff, like the big deal. And then when my sister was little, my dad started giving both of them a heart-shaped uh, you know, boxes of, of candy. 
And there was one year when I was like eight or nine where I guess he thought that I felt left out and he gave me a heart that was like a, a tuxedo shape. And I was like, even as a kid, I was like, we don't need to do this. I, I, was, like, I was like, I'm fine not getting the heart-shaped box of chocolate. Like, this could be a you, you and your girls thing. I'm okay with this, Dad. So I kind of, no. I get the sentiment. And I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't give this a shot. My, my parents' 39th wedding anniversary is on Valentine's Day. So Bob and Kim. Bob and Kim, yeah, 39. Way to go. That's the perfect way to end the podcast. Shout out to Bob and Kim. Shout out to the Cards. Let's get this thing done on Saturday. Let's get back on track. Go Cards. Beat Clemson.